So if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read about four verses. And the message I'm going to preach this morning is about uh, warfare tactics. This is the second message uh, in our series on spiritual warfare. And this is uh, about warfare tactics. So in Second Chronicles chapter 20, let's read a few verses here. Uh, verses 1 through 4, and we'll pretty much stay uh, in that chapter the whole time. But right here's what it reads in, in, in verse 1. It says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And again, we got a lot of people having babies here right now, and Jehoshaphat's going to be a great name if, if, you, if you're doing that. Then, then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Let's pray together right fast. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, just, just like we talked about last week, God, we, we realize and we recognize that we are in a war zone, and, and God, that we're in spiritual warfare. And to some degree, each of us, Lord, we're battling with something right now in our minds, in our lives, in our families. And Lord, your word comes to bring us clarity, direction, and deliverance. And so we ask, Father, that you would speak to each of us this morning right where we're at, God. And, and we always trust and know, Lord, that you've already won the battle and that the battle is yours. So we place it all in your hands this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So listen, the Old Testament is filled with warfare. A lot of times, even today, I never really thought about it much when I used to read the Bible, but, but today people come to me all the time and, and they ask me, the question is, how come there's so much violence in the Old Testament? How come there's so much warfare in the Old Testament? I, I don't really have time to get into that answer, but what I do want you to understand is that we know that our warfare that we face in the New Testament is never against flesh and blood. Jesus is opposed to violence. He said to bless your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. He said that if somebody was to smite you on the cheek with one hand, then turn to them the other. He was nonviolent, and he always taught that warfare was not about physical battles. But in the Old Testament, what we begin to find out is that it is a representation of a New Testament warfare, and it actually gives us a template for what we're supposed to do in the spiritual realm with what they're doing physically in the physical realm. Now, what you have to understand is that in the Old Testament, all these other nations that Israel is going to battle against, they're worshiping false gods. And these false gods are not just a figment of their imagination. The Bible actually teaches that these false gods, behind each of these false gods is a demon principality. What they're literally worshiping are spiritual beings. They're not just worshiping things that don't exist. They're worshiping spiritual beings, but they are demonic principalities. And the way that these demonic principalities' wills are done upon the earth is through their worshipers. For example, the, the most worshipped deity in the Old Testament other than Yahweh is a god named Baal. And this God named Baal, one of the things that he would do for, that, one of the things they would have to do in order to worship them was, was a type of sexual perversion and temple prostitution. But it was also, they would have to offer their children as sacrifices to Baal. 
Uh, and, and it was interesting because Tabitha, she went up to Washington, D.C. here recently, and actually in front of, I think it was maybe the National Monument, they had put an arch of Baal. Is that right? So I, I, I almost didn't believe her. I looked it up on Google, and it turns out that for three days they had placed the arch of Baal in front of the National Monument in Washington, D.C. during the Kavanaugh hearings. Now, people said, well, they, they had different reasons for that, why that was going to happen. But you have to understand that when we, we don't come out and say that we worship these false gods. But when we offer sacrifices that, that, that these gods received, in essence, we are empowering these false gods. We're empowering these demon principalities. Now, as long as Israel worshipped the one true God, as long as they worshipped Yahweh, what happened? They would always defeat their enemies. But when they turned from the one true God and begin to worship other false gods, what would happen? They would get destroyed and their enemies would defeat them because they forgot to worship the one God who had the only power over these enemies. Amen? And so you see spiritual warfare. You see it's warfare in the natural. But for us, it's a template for how we battle spiritually when it comes to the spiritual warfare that we're living in. So what you, what you begin to see is Jehoshaphat at this point, he's the king of Judah. Israel got split up into two parts, and he is, he's the king of the south in Judah. And Jehoshaphat was a good king, but he made some bad decisions on occasion. One of the bad decisions he made was he came into alliance with an evil king named Ahab. And Ahab was, was a man who worshipped Baal. And his wife Jezebel worshipped Baal. And, 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 and at one point Jehoshaphat comes into alignment with Ahab. And Ahab is killed in battle. And a prophet comes to Jehoshaphat and basically rebukes him and says, What are you going to do, Jehoshaphat? Are you going to sit here and come into alignment and to agreement with somebody who hates God? Is that what you're going to do? And so Jehoshaphat ends up repenting. And he ends up tearing down the altars of Baal and he tears down all these things and all this false worship. And in chapter 19, he puts everything back in order and he calls people back to worshiping Yahweh. And he's setting everything in order. But it's just like, it's just like the same way that we do. Oftentimes in our lives, we get out of track, don't we? And, and we're not worshiping God. We're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And, and we're living a life apart from God. And all of a sudden, we, we, we repent. We return to the Lord. We put our life back in order. We put everything back in order. And then we think things are supposed to get better. But guess what happens? We enter into spiritual warfare. Amen. And this is what happens to, to Jehoshaphat because as soon as he puts everything back in order, in verse 2 it says, Suddenly a great multitude appears against them, uh, an army that was basically insurmountable. They knew that this army that was coming against them was so much more than them that there was no way they were going to be able to defeat them. It was a multitude. And here's the, here's the truth is that Oftentimes in our lives, we, everything will be going smooth, we'll be serving the Lord, things will be going well, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a multitude of thoughts, of fears, of circumstances, of bad things that begin to happen, flood our hearts, flood our minds, and begin to rob us of the peace that we have in Christ. Amen? Y'all ever been in that position where all of a sudden it's just like everything goes crazy, everything breaks loose, a multitude comes out against you, and when you look at what's going on, around you, it looks like it's an impossible situation. And you think to yourself, there's no way I'm overcoming this. There's just too much going on. It's too big of a battle. We're not going to be able to make it. And the Bible says in verse 3 that Jehoshaphat feared. You ever been in that circumstance and your first response is fear? You get afraid. Many times, oftentimes, our first response, even as Christians, is not, well, I'm pumped about this. You know, I'm excited. This, this looks great. I'm really glad that I get to enter into this battle. Praise the Lord. 
You know, I, I preached a message there not too long ago about uh, uh, the tests in the wilderness and, uh, and about how the Scripture says to count it all joy when you fall into trials. How many times we count it joy when we fall into trials? Now, I believe that if we truly came to realize how God loves to fight our battles for us, there would be times that we would get some joy out of it. But the truth is we're just human beings. We struggle, don't we? And we, and we, 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 we wrestle with these things when it comes. But see, the enemy seeks to present circumstances in your life in a multitude that will in a moment of time overwhelm you and instill fear in your life. Because he's wanting you to begin to react, not out of faith, but out of fear. Out of fear of what's going to happen. And he comes to erode your confidence in God and in the promises of God. And he wants you overwhelmed in that moment with this multitude of things that's going on. But see, in verse 3 and 4, now here's the, here's the first tactic. Because in verse 3 and 4, he's afraid this multitude's come against him. But it says, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, the first tactic that I'm going to give you is everybody's least favorite, okay? And that's prayer and fasting. Somebody amen me on that one. I know y'all love it. Some people talk to me, you know, they're like, Clay, you know, what'd you do to get free from drugs and alcohol, man? What'd you do to do this? And I tell them all the time, I said, look, I really committed to three things. I committed my life, and I'm not talking about one time. I committed my life to God's Word, to prayer, and to fasting. And those three things become such a deadly combination in the life of the bondage and the sin that you're... Look, look, anybody who's in spiritual warfare, if you're serious, if you're serious about getting free from strongholds and from sin, if you're really serious about overcoming the battles and the addictions and the fears and the strongholds in your life, if you are really serious about overcoming things that are going on in your family and seeing true breakthrough and true deliverance in your life, then you will give yourself to prayer and fasting. That's just, that's just the reality. And a lot of times what people want to do is say, well, you know, I know and I understand that God's given me these things. And sometimes when I share this with people, they'll be like, yeah, but when you talk about prayer and fasting, what you really mean, like, but you can fast anything you want to, right? Like you can fast video games. You can. And let me tell you something. Anything that you sacrifice for the Lord, he is going to accept. But biblical fasting is not eating. Okay. I'm just, I just need you to know that. I need you to understand that. Because what I, and the reason I need you to understand that is because anything you give up for the Lord and, and give, give yourself to prayer in that instance, God is going to receive it. God is going to bless it. But biblical fasting is choosing to not eat. And the reason that is is because your most basic need and your most basic desire on a human level is food. You need nourishment to live. And in order to deny your flesh and press into the Spirit, you have to deny yourself food in order to press into the the Spirit and focus your prayer in an intentional way that brings spiritual breakthrough. Do I, know, do I understand why that's a reality? I don't. But what I understand is that throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, Jesus actually mandated it to his disciples. He did not present it as an option. He presented it as something that if you were a disciple of his, you would find yourself coming into a lifestyle where you prayed and you fasted regularly in order to stay in tune with the Spirit of God and keep your flesh under subjection. It was just a reality. Now, everybody gets excited. Amen. Y'all with me, ain't you? Now, it's hard to get excited about fasting, but here's the thing. If you fast, obviously, it, it, I hate it. It's not fun. I do, I do not like it because I love food and I love to eat and I love to be comfortable. I hate to be uncomfortable. I hate when I'm not eating. But the truth is, is in certain points in your life, you have to come to a realization that there's something that I want more than food. I want God. I want his breakthrough in my life. I want deliverance in our community. I want my family to be saved. 
And when you begin to want those things more than you want food, I'm telling you, you're putting yourself in a position for real spiritual breakthrough. Jesus taught it so often in the New Testament. One place in particular we talk about spiritual warfare is that there was a man with a demon-possessed boy, and the disciples came to minister to this boy, and they could not cast the demon out of this boy, even though Jesus had given them authority to do so. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, Look, your disciples tried to cast this demon out, but they could not do it. And Jesus said, You perverse and faithless generation. That seems like, man, Jesus, you're being mean. You're being hard on us. You shouldn't say that. He said, No, you're a perverse and a faithless generation. He said, You're perverse, and I believe this. We're perverse because we're too connected to the world, and we're faithless because we're not connected to God. And he listed those things, and then all of a sudden he ministers to the boy, and immediately Jesus gets the boy set free. The boy is raised up. He's delivered from this demonic uh, spirit that's been binding him and tormenting him. And then his disciples, they're feeling all bad about what's happened because they couldn't set the boy free. They come to Jesus privately. They said, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast this, this spirit out of this boy? How come we couldn't do it? And he said, well, he says, you could not do it because of your unbelief. And then he says, but... However, in 17 verse 21, you put that up, Matthew 17 verse 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. He's saying, look, you've been unplugged to God. You need to plug back in. You need to get into prayer. And you've been too plugged into the world. You need to unplug from the world. You need to fast. And he's saying, in order to get get back into a position of the authority that God wants you to be in, in order to set yourself up to, to seek the Lord, you have got to focus with intentional prayer and fasting. And he said, there are some things, some things only come through prayer and fasting. Somebody amen me on that. I'm telling you, if you can get this one thing in your life, you're going to see breakthrough. I, I could stop here and just say, implement that into your life on some level and everything, and it would, it would dramatically change your life. I wouldn't have to give you any other principles. It would just be that, just that one thing. This was the thing that ended up, it was God that delivered me, but it was prayer and fasting that began to take, provide the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do something transformational in my life. Now, Jehoshaphat, he calls a fast for all the people, and he gathers, gathers them together to seek the Lord. And the language it uses in verse 3 is, he set his face to seek the Lord. Because when you are in spiritual warfare, here's what you got to understand. One of the primary tactics Satan is going to use against you is distraction. Anybody amen me on that? Distraction. Distraction means that you are, literally the word means you're being pulled from many different directions. And you're being pulled in so many different directions that you can't stop to focus on the one thing that matters in the moment. And what he's saying is, is I have, he had to literally take a moment to realize, okay, I'm in a battle. I'm in a warfare and I don't have time to go home and clean the house and do, take care of this. I don't have time to go bowling this evening. I don't have time to do any of that stuff. I'm sure Josh Fett didn't bowl, but if he did, he would realize I don't have time for that. I have to set my face to seek the Lord, and I cannot allow any other distraction to come into my life. And there are times when you're in spiritual warfare, as, as difficult as it is in our busy lives, we have to be intentional about setting aside distractions and saying, I'm setting my face to seek the Lord, and I'm not going to allow a distraction to come into my life at this point. You know, you talk about prayer and fasting and spiritual warfare. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, if you read in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, Daniel is looking for an answer from God. And it says that for 21 days, he said, I ate no desirable food. For 21 days, I set myself to seek the Lord. I ate no desirable food, chapter 10, verse 3. And it goes on through, and he's praying, and he's fasting. He's seeking the Lord for 21 days. And on the 21st day, 
Get this. The 21st day, the angel Gabriel appears to him. And he says to him, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. And the same word used for desirable when it says he had no desirable food is the same word used when Gabriel explains who Daniel is. So basically he's saying, you chose to not eat that which was desirable. And in God's sight, you became one who was greatly desirable. Imagine that. Because you choose to set aside things that are desirable for the moment in order to seek God, you become greatly desired by God. That's awesome. And he comes into this position, he says, because you set aside that which was desirable, you have become greatly desirable before the Lord. And as soon as you prayed on the first day, we heard your prayer. I want you to understand this. On the first day you prayed, guess what? God heard your prayer. And he said, and we were sent to bring the message. God chose to send Gabriel to bring the message. And he said, but I was resisted 21 days by the prince of Persia. And here's what I want you to understand is that sometimes when you begin to pray, spiritual warfare breaks out and the answer is released. But there are demonic principalities in the heavens that are resisting the answer from coming to you. Now, how does that change your prayer life when you begin to understand that when you pray, sometimes the reason things don't get answered is not because God's not answering it. It's because spiritual warfare has broken out in the heavenlies. And the only way the angel gets through, Gabriel said, because essentially, because you continued praying and fasting, Michael, the other archangel, was released to help me fight, and now I have come to bring you the answer. Prayer and fasting brings breakthrough. It brings transformation. It brings change. And that's the first thing that has to happen if we're going to use warfare tactics in spiritual warfare. Now, 2 Chronicles 20, chapter 20, verses 5 through 7. Let's look at these verses. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So he comes just like we are this morning. And it says, And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Now, here's what he's doing. Now, I don't know about you, but at least he begins to pray, doesn't he? My my only thing here with his prayer is that he's not making declarations. He's asking questions. Because oftentimes when bad things happen and difficult things happen, we're not reacting out of faith. We're still reacting out of fear. And our prayers are not necessarily in declarations of faith in what we believe God is going to do. But our prayers are a lot of time questions. Anybody amen me on that? People come, why is this happening, God? I thought you were God. I thought you would protect me. I thought you would heal me. I thought these things would happen. And listen, God is not opposed to that. God needs you to be honest. And no matter where your your heart is at in that moment, you need to come to God even if it's with fear and questions. Because only in fear, even if you come, only when you pray and begin to release your heart before God can He give you a fresh new perspective. Now He's praying and He's releasing this before God. And at some point, see, your, your prayer has to begin to change from questions to declarations. But here's, here's the thing, is, is at least he is rehearsing who he knows God is. He says, are you not God? Are you not the one who, who put us in this land? Are you not the one who's able to defeat all of our enemies? See, at least he's rehearsing what he knows to be true about God in that instance. Because here's, and here's why that's important. Because as soon as you enter into a battle... 
As soon as you enter into the battle, as soon as something negative happens in your life, as soon as something bad happens in your life, I tell you what's going to happen. The devil is going to take that opportunity to use those bad things in your life to get you to rehearse over and over and over again every negative possibility and outcome until he gets a stronghold of fear in your life, until he gets a stronghold of doubt in your life. And the only way that you can battle rehearsing those negative thoughts and those negative emotions over and over. This is the primary tactic of Satan. He wants to bring fear and discouragement to you to such a degree that all you're rehearsing is the most negative outcomes that you can imagine. And oftentimes we think it's just ourself. I'm telling you, you got the enemy at work in your mind when that's all you're thinking about. And you have to come to a position where you begin to understand how to do this. You have to get to a place where you feed your faith and you starve your doubts. I can't allow things to get in my mind that are going to cause me to believe in the worst possible outcomes. I have to begin to imagine what God wants to do and understand according to his word, what does God want to do in this situation? And I've got to feed that while I starve my doubts. I like how he says, he talks about Abraham, your friend forever. Because Abraham was a friend for. Imagine being called a friend of God. Remember that song, I am a friend of God. You don't become a friend of God just, just because you sing that song. You become a friend of God because you spend time with him. Nobody in here will, there, there, there's several people in here that you wouldn't necessarily call me friend because we don't spend time together. You know what I'm saying? You call me your pastor, you might respect me, I hope you do. And on some level, but, 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 but you're friends with people you spend time with, aren't you? You can't be a friend of God unless you spend time with him. See, Abraham was a friend of God. And I'm telling you, there's something about friendship with God in spiritual warfare because you know your friends have your back, don't you? And if I know God's my friend, I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear because I know that my friend has my back. Now, it goes on. You skip on down to verse 11 and 12. I like what it says here. He's finishing up his prayer and he says, Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I love that. Because he says, look, we, don't even ha- we have no power against this great multitude. And for some of you, it would be best that, that in some of your circumstances, you would come to this realization early on. Just go ahead and realize early, I don't have power against this multitude. There's nothing I can do in my physical effort or in my natural wisdom to change this circumstance right now. I don't have power against this great multitude. Matter of fact, he said, we don't even know what to do, Lord. People oftentimes spiritually are in the worst condition when they think they do know what to do. Because you, you have to come sometimes to the end of yourself where you make this declaration and say, we don't know what to do, Lord, but guess what? Our eyes are upon you. Because even when you don't know what to do, as long as your eyes are upon the Lord, guess what? You don't have to know what to do because your eyes are fixed upon the one who knows all things. And he knows what you need when you need it, and he will take care of you. This is what he says. Neither do we know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are upon you. And then in verse 13, it says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Now, you know, there's something about the routine of coming together as a family and standing before the Lord to hear his word. In the book of Nehemiah, when they're in battle and, and, and they're, they're, building, they're rebuilding the, the, the walls around Jerusalem, and as they're re- rebuilding, it says that once they got rebuilt, they, they, they stood before the Lord literally all day. 
They, they got the books of the law out that were lost, and they stood before the Lord all day and heard the word of the Lord. Now, a lot of times in our, in, in our generation, we don't value the word of the Lord. I mean, we, we, we have people sometimes in here that, that don't, I mean, honestly, the people in church, sometimes they don't even listen to the word of the Lord. You may amen me on that. Ain't nobody wants to hear that this morning, but it's true. Sometimes people just totally tune out the word of the Lord. They say it's not important. It's not, it's not valuable. It's not something that I need in my life. And by doing that, you don't even realize that Satan and the enemy has set up some kind of things. And Jesus said, look, you have ears, but you're, but you're not hearing. You're not hearing what the word of the Lord is saying because the only way you're going to win the battle, the only way you're going to change is by hearing the word of the Lord. And, and, and so they stood before the Lord and they heard it. But there's something about the discipline of coming together regularly to hear the word of the Lord. Now, we, we live... Again, in a generation where coming to church is an optional thing. And one of the things that we do at our church is we don't, we, don't really, we don't really jump on people about that stuff. Now, I used to go to churches sometimes, man, they'd rag you out if you miss a church service. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I would go and preach at another church, and they'd chew me out for preaching. You need to be at church. I'm like, I, I was. I was at church. <laughs> They're like, no, you need to be at church. You know what I'm talking about? But, but, but here's the thing. I, I, even though they did that, I didn't, I didn't view it as a negative thing. Because at least they wanted me in the house of God. At least they wanted me in the place that they knew I was going to hear the word of the Lord. And at least they cared enough to believe, even if, it was, even if their motives weren't always right, at least they knew that it was important to come to a place where you could be with the people of God, worshiping God corporately, and, and, and something was going to be released, and you were going to hear the word of the Lord for that week. Now listen, again, we, like I said, Donald and I, we, we make it a point to not be uh, overbearing or to, or, or, or to be harsh on people. Because sometimes, you know what? You just can't make it to church. But listen, if you just got tired and you slept in, you need to begin to discipline yourself to say, you know what, even if I don't like church that much sometimes, I'm going to discipline and make it a point to understand that God has called me to a local church, whether it's this one or another one. And part of my spiritual warfare and my worship is to discipline myself to be in a place where I can hear the word of the Lord and worship corporately with the people of God because I believe that's going to break demonic strongholds. Now, they knew this. They understood the importance of gathering together, and they gathered with everyone. And they came together in the house of the Lord. And here's what happens in verse 14. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel in the midst of the assembly. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel in the midst of the assembly. Let me tell you something. You're going to have, if you seek God privately, you're going to have a lot of personal encounters with God, and they're going to be awesome. Okay? But, but here's the thing. What happens in this church is, is, is the fruit of what happens in our personal lives with God. And a lot of times we don't experience the move of God here because we're not seeking God privately as individuals. But when we seek God privately as individuals and we get it in our heart and in our mind, you know what? When we come together corporately, there is going to be an exponential release of power. And people that could not hear from the Lord in other ways this week, they're going to hear it this morning because the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon somebody this morning in the house of the Lord. And there's going to be an exponential release of power and breakthrough and deliverance because we're coming together corporately. There's something that happens spiritually when the people of God meet together in one heart, one mind, one accord and believe God to do miracles in their midst. Amen? So verse 15, he says, he tells them, do not be afraid or discouraged. Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. He says, don't be afraid or discouraged 
And, and, and it reveals that one of the greatest tactics of our enemy is to get fear in you and to get discouragement in you. How many of y'all, you've been afraid and you've been discouraged here lately? Anybody? So it happens, doesn't it? We experience fear. We experience discouragement. And see, here's the thing. He's, he, he gives him the word of the Lord and he tells him to not, be, not, to not fear nor be discouraged. And here's the thing. I love it when the Lord says don't, be, don't fear or be, or, or be discouraged because if, if, he, if he's telling you to not be afraid and not be discouraged, there's probably a pretty good reason you should be afraid and discouraged. Right? But he tells him, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. And he gives him this word. And in God's economy, how these things work is that when God wants to do something in your life, he chooses to do it through his word to you. You realize that? That the way God is going to empower you to do something is he's going to bring a word to you that is deposited into your heart that you can act upon. And when I'm afraid and discouraged and somebody comes from the Lord and says, look, here's what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because this battle is not yours, but this battle is the, is the Lord's. Can you imagine the encouragement and the strength that that brought into Jehoshaphat in that moment? He's seeking the Lord. He's wondering, man, what's the answer from God? What do we do, God? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a man of God and the man of God gives a simple word it's not profound he doesn't give him his birth date or, or his account number or anything like that that's profound he simply says the Lord says do not be afraid don't be discouraged this battle is not yours this battle is the Lord's and all of a sudden there's strength that comes into him and here's what here's what you need to understand is and the question you have to ask yourself is how much do you really value the word of God to you how much do you value the Word of God to you in your life? Because the battles that you win, the battles that you win in this life will always be in direct correlation to the sword that you carry. Okay? The battles that you win will always be in direct correlation to the sword that you carry. And the Bible says in spiritual warfare that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. What kind of word are you carrying? What kind of word do you have hidden in your heart? What kind of word do you have in your life? Because if you don't have a word, you don't have a sword. And if you don't have a sword, you can't fight. See, the word of God is formed in your heart. The sword of the Spirit is formed in your heart because you stay in the word of God. You hear the word of the Lord. And when you're in a battle, you come to a position where you say, Lord, I need to hear your word. I need to hear what you're saying. I don't care if you use the craziest person in the church to bring me a word. I don't care where it comes from, who it comes through, but I need a word from you and I need you to speak to me. And when you treasure that and you have the word of God in your heart and you're searching the scriptures to hear what God is saying guess what you are developing and sharpening your sword and he's going to put you in a position where you're going to win some battles because of the sword that you carry now in verse 17 it says you will not need to fight in this battle that's interesting isn't it you will not need to fight in this battle position yourselves stand still and see the salvation of the lord who is with you Oh, Jeru Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear nor be discouraged. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now, the second thing in your notes, and I'm going to get through these next three pretty quick. I hung up, I hung up there for a little bit. Don't get worried. I know y'all want out quick, you know what I'm saying? Don't get too worried. won't be long now. I'm going to fly through it. Number two, the second thing is position. He says, position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The second thing is position. Now, here's, this is, it's interesting that this is a battle tactic. But, but, you know, last week we were talking about the fact 
that in this war that we fight, and we, we've said this several times in our church, but we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory has already been won on the cross. And if I'm going to defeat my enemy, what I have to understand is that I need to stand in the victory of Jesus Christ. I have to stand in the fact that he's already paid for my sins on the cross. He's already declared to me that all of his promises are yes and amen and have been sealed in his blood. And no matter what is coming on around me, I know that the word of God says no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. I know that the word of the Lord says that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I know that the word of God says that by his stripes I have been healed. These are realities that Jesus has already paid for on the cross. And he's saying the best thing you can do is position yourself in those truths. Position yourselves in those promises. He says you're not going to need to fight in this battle because this battle's already been won. This battle's already been fought. What you need to do is position yourselves and stand in the victory that has already been won. And when the devil is telling you you haven't won, you're sick, you're tormented, you're fearful, you're afraid, you're worried, you're all these things, you say, no, I am not. God's given me sound mind. God has given me peace. I'm at peace. And the Word of God says that if I let my request be made known unto him, that he's going to give me a peace that passes all understanding. And therefore, Satan, I'm standing in that peace. And I'm not going to allow you to take it for me because Jesus paid, paid for me to have it on the cross. So I position myself. And the second thing that he does is he says, position yourselves and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, I believe this is a New Testament pointing forward to the New Testament because he says literally, if you read it in the Hebrew, it says position yourselves and see the Yeshua of the Lord. He's literally saying the name of Jesus. He's saying position yourselves and see Jesus. Position yourselves and behold what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Position yourselves and realize every day when you get up in the morning, yeah, everything's going crazy, your mind's going wild, you know what you need to do? You need to lift your hands and begin to worship and imagine Jesus dying on that cross and realize that all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt, every, every enemy that's ever come against you, your sickness, your disease, it's been placed upon that cross. It's already done. He says, position yourselves, stand still, and see Jesus. And then in verse 18 through 20, verse 18 through 20, I like this. He says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites, there's some more good names, stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with voices loud and high. Notice that. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now notice this. This is what I want you to notice. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Now, the word believe there is the Hebrew word amen. Amen. That's why we say amen. And what he's saying is, he's saying amen, the Lord your God. And what he's saying is affirm and confirm what he's saying in your life. Amen and believe in the Lord your God. Confirm what he's saying over your life. And he says, and you will be established in it. Now, what he's literally saying is you need to be in the, in the written word of God. 
And he says, and if you will get to the place where you believe God and you believe his written word to you, guess what? You're going to be established in a firm foundation that when the enemy comes, you're going to remain unshakable. You're going to remain unshakable just because you have the word of the Lord in your heart and you believe God. And you say, look, I know the bad reports are coming. I know a multitude is coming out against me. I know everybody else believes in the negative uh, side of things, but I'm choosing to believe God. And he says, you're going to be established. But then he takes it a step further and he says, but believe his prophets and you shall prosper. So he's saying, you believe in God's written word, you believe in God, you're going to be established. But I don't just want you to be established. He says, I want you to prosper. That word means to rush forward and to advance. And what he's saying is, is once you're established in God's word, sometimes, because here's the thing, God will speak to me in his word about a lot of things. But there's some things in my life, my own personal ministry, my marriage, my family life, what's going to happen in my future. I won't find all that in the scripture, will I? And I need a word of God for my life. And oftentimes, Scripture always backs it up. But I need something to speak into my life about what's going to happen in my life so that I can begin to press forward in advance toward the mark. And this is why the third thing, the the third weapon of warfare is prophecy. Number three is prophecy. And sometimes prophecy gets a bad rap, but you know the Bible says, do not despise prophesyings. Don't despise it. Don't reject it. Sometimes people give a weird word of prophecy. Yeah, well, we can reject those. But anybody ever got a weird word of prophecy? Yeah, I've gotten a couple. Matter of fact, I'll tell you all the story. One time I told you all the story. It was prophesied that I was going to marry three different girls. Man, that's weird prophecy there, ain't it? And none of them were Andrea. So those were false. So you don't, I'm not saying that you accept every single word, but I'm saying there have been some words, there have been some words that, I, that have come into my life and I, have, I prayed through them, I did not reject them, and I'm telling you what they did, they gave me the strength to move forward. They gave me the strength to press on. And, and here's what the scripture says. Let me give you, let me give you, a, let me give you a verse in 1 Timothy 1.18. Now this is the Passion Translation, but I like what it says. Put that up there, 1 Timothy 1.18. It says, So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry. He's saying, look, we prophesied over your life when you started into this ministry and we begin to say over your life what was going to happen. And he said, now they're coming to pass in this ministry. When I first, when I first got saved and the Lord called me into ministry, I, I didn't believe it so much. That I, that I prayed and I cried out to God. I said, God, if you want me to get into the ministry, you're going to have to send somebody else than just my own heart. And as soon as I said that out of my mouth, a woman comes up to me and she begins to speak into my life and prophesy over me. And, and, and she says, listen, the Lord says, son, do not doubt any longer because it's I that have called you. And yes, you are young, but you step out now in faith and you begin to proclaim my word. And as you walk forward and as you step into this ministry and this calling, I'm going to equip you and I will put my word in your hearts in your heart and on your lips and you will be my mouthpiece and she said now is the time do not delay step into that calling now and I'm telling you at that point I barely believed the Bible but you know what that gave me the strength to do step into my ministry I heard it in my heart but I needed a confirmation and here's what he's saying they did that in the beginning of his ministry and it says in keeping with the prophecies prophecies spoken over you he says with this encouragement use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare 
Use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare. Now, some of you maybe say, well, I ain't never been prophesied to you. Let me tell you something. You don't have to have an individual come and prophesy to you. You need to get in a relationship with God where you value his word because when fear and discouragement is coming, I can get into the Bible and read and there'll be a word that just begins to come off the page and I can sense God speaking to my heart and I'll write it down myself if nobody else ain't going to give it to me. And I'll write it down myself. This is what I believe the Lord is saying to me and I will hold on to that thing because when doubt and fear and worry, listen, even in my own ministry, I cannot tell you the times, Andrea would tell you, the times that Satan has come at my mind just to say, Clay, you're garbage, your ministry's garbage, and, if, and you would be doing everybody a favor if you just lay it down and quit and get yourself a real job. Everybody laughed at that one. Yeah, go ahead, get you a real job, Clay. Get a... <laughs> um, but no, what, I need, what I'm saying that for is that God has had to come in the midst of all that batter in my war, and, I, and, and, and I've had to grab a hold of a word of God that I can wage spiritual warfare with it because you've got to realize that when your mind is going crazy, you need a word from the Lord to put in place of what the enemy is trying to convince you of and is trying to tell you because the, the battleground, folks, is where? The battleground is your mind. Scripture says that the we- 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are thought patterns that actually are influenced by the demonic realm. The demonic realm takes control over people's lives because they instill thoughts and values in people's minds until people say yes to it and agree with it and act upon it. And then the will of the enemy is done on the earth because we can't get control of our minds. See, it says if you want to do spiritual warfare, you learn to cast down imaginations, pull down strongholds, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And if you're going to win spiritual warfare, you have to take those negative thoughts captive, pull them out of your mind, and replace them with what the Word of the Lord is. That's the only way you're going to win spiritual warfare. You have to take an evaluation of that because the enemy seeks to build a stronghold in your life, and every lie that you believe is another brick on that wall from which he can gain control in your life and hide behind that wall. You got to ask yourself, what lies have I believed? What lies have I believed about God? What lies have I believed about others? That I've built this thing up in my life because some of you, you need to hear a word from God and the key, the key is to be so anchored in what the Lord has said to me about my life, about my situation, to be so anchored in what God has said to me that nothing else is appealing. And the only time that Satan's lies are appealing to me is when I've lost sight of what God has said to me. And there are times that I lose sight of what God has said to me and spoken over my life. I forget what he's called me into. And you know what? When I get a word from the Lord, I'll write it down. And sometimes my mind will be going crazy, and I'll go back, and I'll look at these things that were said to me. And when I read them, what happens? Warfare breaks out, and all of a sudden my mind begins to grab a hold of the word of the Lord, and it exposes the lies of the enemy in my life, and it says, this is who you are, Clay. This is what you need to stand on. You believe in God, you're going to be established. You believe his prophets, you're going to prosper. Amen? The last thing, number four, is praise. Since this is the last thing, let's go ahead and have that worship team come up. Number four is praise. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. It says this, And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. 
Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes around them so that their enemies were defeated. Now, I want to read just a few more verses right here. In in Isaiah 42, verses 9 and 10, let's look at these right, right quick together. I love these verses. It says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise from the ends of the earth. Go to the next verse. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. And then here's what it says. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail, prevail against his enemies. Now, I love that. Now, here's what's so crazy about the, about, about the Old Testament is what you begin to find out is that one of the greatest weapons that was used in the Old Testament was simply praise. And this is crazy to our natural mind, isn't it? Because how, we don't believe that things can actually change because we simply sing songs to the Lord. But in the Old Testament, the Bible says, let the, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a sharp two-edged sword in their right hand. And here's what God is saying. We talk, we, Andre and I, we talked to somebody yesterday that there was a traumatic experience in their life. They dealt with something that was extremely difficult in a moment of time, and they were believing all kinds of lies because when you enter into this time of warfare, you're, you are having imaginations of the worst possible outcomes. You're believing crazy things, and you're tempted to do even crazier things. You're tempted to move away from God. You're tempted to hold grudges. You're tempted to be angry at people and even angry at God. And you're tempted to be those things. But I I, I told this person, I said, listen, this just happened. I promise you, you're about to enter into spiritual warfare. Satan is going to take this opportunity to bring every lie that he possibly can against you. And Andrea spoke to this person, and she, she actually sent her a playlist of worship music. And she said, whenever you start feeling crazy like that, you need to listen to these songs. You need to get them in your heart. You need to start singing these songs. And she told us, this was, this was a little while back, but she told us, she said, listen, after that happened, when you told me I was in spiritual warfare, and after that happened, and Andrea gave me that playlist, and, the, and I began to play these songs and sing those songs, every time I would have those crazy thoughts, I'd just feel it start to lift, she said. And it would just give me just enough peace to press on and resist what, what I knew the enemy was wanting me to do in that situation. And I kept pressing through. And she said, and just at the right time, guess what? I got a word from the Lord that spoke directly to my situation and the condition of my heart. And she said, had I not been in praise and worship, had I not heard that word from the Lord, I know I would have been defeated. That's what she said. And that's what I'm saying is that you have to come into this position because I'm telling you what the Bible teaches is that when we begin to praise, this one says when they went out and they begin to praise the Lord in beauty of holiness, here's what he's saying. He's saying when all of a sudden you can fix your mind on God and you can begin to sing about God, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And what he's wanting to do is create an atmosphere in your home and in your life where there's only negative, sinful feelings and emotions and and, and all of these things going on around you in the atmosphere. And what happens is when you begin to sing the praise of God, his presence invades that area and begins to push back the darkness. And there's a warfare that breaks out when you begin to praise because you've been delegated by God to show forth his praise and show forth his glory. Let let, Let me give you a practical example. So Andre and I, there was a day we went home and we're tired, so we turned it on Netflix. And you know how Netflix is, it's weird. And you're like scrolling, trying to find something worth watching. 
And, and we, we end up, anyway, we picked something because somebody had said, hey, that's a good show. So we picked this show, and 20 minutes in this show, we, we, we started, we should have went a little bit earlier, but, but, you know, it took us a minute to, we were tired. 20 minutes in this thing, we start feeling this crazy sense of heaviness. Just like, I just felt right sick in, the, in my stomach. And, and, I, and I said, man, we can't, I, we can't watch this show anymore. And Andre's like, yeah, we got to quit this. And I went into the other room, I felt so weird. Now here's, now, here's the issue of spiritual warfare. What we could have done was simply embrace the fact that we felt a little bit weird, went to bed, let it go, and carry that thing with us through the night and wake up in the morning still carrying that thing. But instead, what we chose to do, we recognized, we discerned, there was something that shifted in the atmosphere of our home. And we could have let something in here. And yet, you, you may think it's crazy. I don't care. Because the reality is, is there's a spiritual warfare going on, and you are the one, you are the guardians of the atmosphere in your home. And you get to decide what comes in there and what goes out. And so what we said is we realized, all right, something came in. We, we took communion. We'll do that sometimes. So we took communion. And while we took communion, we started making declarations. We repented. We said, Lord, we should have never watched that long in, in the first place. That was terrible. We repent. We renounce that junk. And if there's any devil come in here, we're telling you to go now in Jesus' name. We plead the blood of Jesus over our home. And we turned on worship music and we begin to worship and praise God. And I kid you not, I just begin to feel light. I begin to feel peace. I even started to hear something from the Lord. I felt like the Lord gave me a little, a, a little word just, just of encouragement that, that wasn't even related to what was going on. And here's what I'm telling you. If you all will learn to put, put that into your life, start listening to things that are going to create an atmosphere. Look, the demonic is attracted to flesh. The demonic is attracted. See, some of y'all listen to music that actually attracts the demonic. It's my amen. But I'm telling you, you need to start listening to music that attracts the presence of God in your life. You need to start watching things that will attract the presence of God in your life. And don't allow the enemy to come in. And when you begin to praise God and you begin to lift the name of the Lord and you begin to open your mouth, I'm telling you, angels are released things happen and the Bible says that God stirs himself up like a mighty man of war to go forth to defeat your enemies. That's good enough for me. That's good enough for me that if I praise. Now I'm not praising just because I want the Lord to defeat my enemies. I praise the Lord because he's worthy. But I know that when I praise him he goes forth to begin to defeat my enemies. Now what I love about this is in, in verse 25 in verse 25 it says that they were three days collecting the spoil from the enemies after they defeated their enemies. They didn't have to lift a sword. They didn't have to throw a punch. As Just because they sang praises to God, the Lord sent ambushes and defeated all their enemies before them. Imagine that. And they were three days collecting spoil. Let me tell you something about the warfare that you're in right now. God does not just want you surviving. He does not just want you surviving. He wants you to advance, and He wants to, you to see breakthrough and prosperity in your life so that you're going to be three days collecting the spoil of the warfare that you were in. You're not in warfare just to survive. You're going to defeat the enemy and you're going to come into a position where you take back everything the enemy has stolen and more. It says they went forth in verse 27. I like this one. Verse 27, I'm done. It says they turned, returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. See, let me tell you something about joy. You don't rejoice because you have joy. You rejoice to get joy. If you can believe that and if you can apply that to your life, things are going to change. You don't rejoice because you have joy. You rejoice to get joy. 
You rejoice over your enemies before the circumstances have even changed. You learn to praise the Lord and give him the glory he deserves even when everything is going crazy and your mind is going nuts and you don't feel good and you're mad at everybody and nothing looks like it's going to go well for the next week. You say, you know what? I'm going to give God praise anyway. I'm going to give him glory in the midst of my enemies. I'm going to lift up a shout of praise and I'm going to rejoice over my enemies before they have even been defeated. And all of a sudden, joy is going to begin to bubble up in your heart and in your life. Stand with me if you would. Now, the only thing I can do is bring a word. And I want to give a word. You know, the Lord... uh, the Lord gave me a word from my brother John down here the other day and, and the, his fiance here they're going to be getting married pretty soon but I, I, I just want to encourage you all because I, I believe with all my heart the Lord's got his hand on you all and I know there's fear and worry that comes sometimes when it comes to jobs and different things like that but I just, I just want you all to know that the Lord says that just like he told you before the, the ox that treads out the grain is not to be muzzled he's going to provide for you same way he has for me. There's been times in my life I've not known where finances are going to come from, but he's provided for me, and he's going to provide for both of you all the same way that he has for me. And, and he wants you to understand that. Just continue to, to, to walk in what he has for you, fulfill the ministry that he's called to you, and he's going to provide for you, and he's going to open doors. And we just speak that over them. Why don't you stretch your hands toward them? Lord, we just believe you for open doors in their lives, that you're going to protect them, you're going to provide for them, you're going to take care of them. And God, you're going to reveal yourself as their provider because they're not going to have to count or rely on a man or any kind of job to provide for them all the days of their life because, Lord, you're their provider. And when they need a job, you're going to give them the right one at the right time, and you're going to be the one, God, that, 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 that is glorified in their lives. In Jesus' name, we just speak that. And the other word I want to give is, is over, over our entire church because there have been a lot of people, and, and, and I want to speak to, to Forrest as well. Forrest just had a baby here recently. Somebody give the Lord glory for that. Forrest just had a baby. But people are having babies all over the place, you know it? And, and I feel like the Lord is saying, saying to, to, to us as a church that, and, and they even said it this morning, Forrest said it this morning coming out of his mouth. Uh, and he talked about Brian and he talked about the, the, how they've been, given the, uh, they've been given the position to raise up the next generation. And I'm telling you right now, I believe with all of my heart that, that those of you that are having children, and there's even going to be more people that are going to be having children in our church. But one of the things that God is setting up our church to do, and I believe this, and I believe over the next decade, we're going to start to see it in this church, that one of the strongest things in this church is actually going to be the young people that we raise up in this church. And a lot of times it seems like we, to, to, to a different degree, we get focused on, you know, uh, just adults and stuff like that. But I believe that what God says is what, what he's doing right here right now is only a glimpse of what's going to begin to happen with our young people. And, 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 it's, and it's, going to, it's long term. But he's going to begin to raise up mothers and fathers, both physically and spiritually in this church. And we're going to see just, just a transformation in our community because of the young people that we're pouring into. And whatever God brings breakthrough in your life, because he's bringing breakthrough in a lot of people's lives. Uh, and and I, I, just, I look at so many of you, I could name you by name, but, but he's bringing breakthrough in so many of your lives. And I believe that whatever breakthrough you get in this season in your life and over the next several years, it's actually going to be exponential in your children's lives. And we're going to see young people that are called into ministry at a very young age. 
I believe that with all of my heart. I was called into ministry at uh, 2022. And I believe that we're going to see, see young people called into ministry, cutting that in half, 12 and 14. You say, well, how can you be called into ministry at 12 and 14? I just believe that's what's going to happen. And, and I think, I think uh, Forrest, I guess the, the word of the Lord for you, man, is, is uh, first of all, I'm proud of you because the Lord's brought him out of darkness and, and brought him into light. And listen, the dude was in prison. Addicted to drugs. Man, he's, I, I sat with him some nights and he, and he shared with me some of the things that, that he's been through. And nobody would know it to look at him. And he's, he's just been through some, some very hard things. And man, the Lord is so proud of you, babe. And the Lord is calling. The, th- the thing that God has done with his life and in his life is actually going to just begin to overflow into other, other kids' lives in this community and in this generation. And kids that you never dreamed would be able to, to step into ministry. Right now, listen, God is opening doors for this, for, for Forrest right now. And he's going into schools all over the state. And they're letting him in there. And, off, and they're pretty much letting him preach Jesus. I mean, and it's amazing what God's doing. And, and we just, we, we want to pray increase in that. And I'm telling you, I, I just believe that for our church that God's going to begin to do something. So those of you that have children, I'm telling you, take, take what you're doing so seriously because you're doing such a good job. But your greatest ministry, I'm telling you right now, some of y'all think that your, your job is important. Some of y'all think that, you, that your, your current ministry is important. Your greatest ministry is the ministry right now that you're having with your kids. And I don't even have kids. So I, I wouldn't even say this if it were not the Lord. You, would you agree with that? I don't even have kids. I'm going to one of these days. But the greatest ministry you have is the ministry you have here with your kids because what God's thinking to do in our, in our church is generational. And that's what's going to take place. Can you say amen to that? So listen, here's what we're going to do. Like I said, we want to just begin to praise the Lord. Would you lift your hands?